A listener note. The safety information discussed in this podcast are our views based on our personal firsthand experiences. Each safety situation presents unique risks, and the solutions discussed in this podcast should not take the place of thorough risk assessments or evaluations based on your specific circumstances. Thank you. Welcome to Safe, Efficient, Profitable, a Worker Safety Podcast, where we break down real problems from real situations and discuss realistic solutions. And here's your host, owner of Allen Safety LLC and CHMM, Joe Allen. Good day, everybody. This is Joe and Jen. Are you on today? I am. Hi, everybody. How's it going? We got PSM today. Yes, we're both on here because we both work all the time. So we thought, let's do something that benefits a lot of the locations we go to. Every place we go has some version of like PSM or PSM kinda or PSM, whatever you want to call it. So we're going to do PSM today. Yep, everybody has full-blown PSM or has... So, some kind of reliability program that's kind of looks like PSM, but they don't have PSM because they don't have regulated products. So we're going to just talk about PSM overall and how to look at it as a management tool and make it actually work for you and not just be a check the block. All right. So we did some other episodes where we talked about lockout tagout or emergency response. And if you want to look back onto those, they'll cover those particular items. There's Jen stated, this is PSM just as a management tool, some different things to look at or consider. So we'll start with this. The first line is the actual management tool part. We like PSM because we like the structure, we like the idea of having multiple variables in a controlled system that people can work in and say, if we do this task, here is the end result. And we like having something like that. And that doesn't mean, like Jen said, whether you have a chemical or not or or portable quantity, or whether you just say, you know what, I don't have any real need for PSM, but I like the idea of a business model structure that I can perform tasks, create positions, operators, training, you know, whatever you want to call it. You've got a whole list of stuff. Well, you know, Joe, it's interesting because PSM is one of the only subjects where we have how to put something online how to run at normal operations, how to do things from a troubleshooting standpoint, how to perform the maintenance, and we also plan for what happens if it goes bad. It's just interesting that PSM is one of the only management tools that really hammers out the entire circle or the entire cycle that something could go through. Now, for those of you who don't know much about PSM, and you say, why do I need some of these control points, as Jen said, because it has a life cycle. And that life cycle has nothing to do with the human. It could be human. It could be weather. It could be some kind of weird anomaly you wouldn't thought of. But this one of the only systems, if you look at the safety side, that calculates that there's one-offs or calculates there's weird or calculates that things could go wrong and still puts a business model platform around it. Yeah, so much so they're acknowledging that things could go wrong, that the government actually has expectations about what should be in the operating procedures. And they include emergency. And they include emergency shutdown and emergency operations in the SOPs. So 
it's interesting that yes, you know, we like the idea of having things run perfectly and nice and smooth, 70 degree day, bluebird skies. And, you know, but the fact of the matter is that even the government's acknowledging, yes, sometimes things happen, right? So Joe, can you talk just a little bit about some of the things that cause the leak and why that would be a concern? Sure. But uh, first, if I can kind of break down how that leak gets there. So you've got a PSM program and a system and you have somebody who's going to manage it. And as they're managing this process, you got to evaluate what kind of training you're going to give them to manage it. And then you've got somebody who may be someone called an operator. And that operator is a it's kind of a word that's kind of just thrown out there sometimes. You know, theoretically, it means a person with a certain amount of skill sets. But we've seen it over the years that that word has different versions to it and different expectations. So first, you got to figure out what an operator is going to be before you can even do anything with some of the processes. You know, what's funny about that is that, you know, you can actually have an operator mean something different among companies with like business structures or products, but also among the company itself, the operator requirements of what I have to have training in or how many hours or what subjects I have to have training in to be qualified as a quote unquote operator. It's interesting how that definition changes even sometimes among the companies themselves, let alone among all different companies. Well, I've seen the same location have five operators and each operator went to different operator training and none of the operators had the same view at all. Yeah. So like internal, external, I job shouted for 10 hours. I job shouted for, you know, a hundred hours. I went to this school, I went to a different school, but they're all operators yet the skill sets that they were trained on were different. Some were at the locations on their System. Some were on somebody else's system. Some got training at a different company and came over and said they were qualified. It is kind of interesting how that, that term moves, but we're all thinking when we say the word, these you know skill sets can be only completed by a quote unquote trained operator. It's interesting how there's so many variations of what that word means, and it's not a definite of that means if I'm called a, a qualified operator, it means I have these ten things. No, not necessarily. <laughs> Not necessarily. And, and Jen and I have been to operator training and we spend a lot of time. I mean, every week, it seems like we're with operators and we're writing procedures. So we're one to one with them. We're doing training. We're one to one with them. Yeah. Reviewing PNIDs, reviewing lockout procedures, walking it with engineers, walking it with contractors who are working on the system. I mean, I don't know that there's much about these systems that we don't know at this point. And what's crazy to me is after all of that, the way the rules are wrote, I could be standing on property and I'm not supposed to touch the valve, but everyone else there who could have way less than I have is allowed to because of the way the system's set up. And that's where some of the gap is. Up to including up to and including Joe, fire departments. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, that's always an interesting one for me. So Yeah, we want people who know what they're doing to touch the valves to not make it worse. So yes, there's operators. Yes, there's training. Yes, there's different models and systems. And yes, there's, we'll talk about SOPs in the system here and in the structure of how everything moves. But when it's all said and done, the idea of PSM is to have a process that is managed and then you have some kind of training and you have some kind of task you're going to perform and some kind of end result. And that end result can be positive or it can have an anomaly that makes it go a little crazy, but you still have a plan of even managing the crazy. So this is why I like the PSM. Yeah. So, well, and it really starts out with 
right out of the gate, like you said, uh, using the PSM structures, the management tool. So really defining out for your location, what is your expectation of skill sets that you're going to have your operators do? And then how do we provide training on our system at our location? Not that we had training in a perfect area that was amazing, but looks nothing like ours. I mean, I'll tell you, Joe and I have been to, I can't even count how many plants, hundreds and hundreds that have ammonia systems. And they all have their differences. Yes, the major pieces of equipment are generally speaking the same. But you know, some locations have swing compressors and booster compressors. And some have all these different high, mid, low, high, high, low, low. It's all different. And when you are relatively new to the game as an operator and you come back from you know wherever you got training or it's your first time in your job shadowing someone or you, you're coming from a different sister location and saying that they're qualified but the system looks completely different than you know the one I just came from it does get a little bit challenging to apply that knowledge to what you're working on so you really want to make sure that they've got training on your stuff at your location and what your expectations are including your safety expectations around it yeah, because usually we have the least experienced people on the shift by themselves and the most experienced through tenure got the boot today shift where they have all the help. So that keeps adding more variables to that equation you wouldn't think of. So that's what we've got. So now we've got an operator and now we've got some systems in place and now we've got some kind of plan how we're going to do things. So we're going to start breaking down. What's one of the things we want to do? Okay, we want to have some kind of mechanical integrity. Mechanical integrity to Jen and I is more about testing the system ahead of time to see what could fail and then try to calculate what failure is going to be like and try to manage it. And she made a comment earlier about kind of like reliability. It is like a reliability tool at that moment, right, Jen? Yeah, we don't want to run to failure. <laughs> I mean, when we run any of our equipment, not PSM related or not refrigeration related or whatever, when we run anything to failure that usually results in it breaking down or having a problem at a really inconvenient time, and generally speaking, that can cost us a lot of money. And that is not the plan. The plan is to make a product, put it out the door, do amazing, everybody stay safe. It, the goal is not to have things fail, maybe because we chose to not do the maintenance in a timely manner when it was ideal. It, it, the, the item gets worse and worse. And now it becomes more and more of a challenge from a maintenance side to make the repairs, change things out. Everybody knows things are not always easy to get right now. So from a shipping and just procurement standpoint of the parts, we've got to start planning ahead of time, way maybe ahead of time than we normally would and identifying we could have a problem getting some of this stuff in. So let's get a little bit ahead of the game. Let's not wait till we're in dire measures here before we start looking at getting some replacement parts in because it could be a challenge. You might be surprised when you go to try and order it. You can't get it for a couple months. And now we get into the leak side of things when stuff like that starts happening. Yeah, we had a condenser last year that we decided the condenser needs to be changed out. So you put in the money for the capital. Now you get the capital. Now you schedule the contractor. Well, they say you got to order the condenser. Now the condenser is going to take so many months backlog. And then finally, the condenser is going to come in and the contractor's already booked somewhere else. And now you wait on the contract. I mean, it took us nine months to get a fence put in the backyard. And all we wanted was a fence so the dog and kid can run around and not go out of the area. And that still took months. So, and that was just a fence. It's not a technical thing that people are trying to do. Uh, overhead doors take forever to get. So there's all these weird things that move on supply chain, like Jen talked about. 
So you could have a condenser. You say, yes, we're ready to go, or a compressor. But that leak, she made a comment, of, could actually come about during that process because you're managing it because it hasn't had time to get fixed yet, and you know you want to fix it. Yeah, we know it's bad. We're limping things along, but we can't get the parts. And now it just gets worse and worse. And now we're looking at, okay, do we have to shut certain stuff down? So now we're running at partial capacity. And now that starts maybe impacting our production. So, you know, just that that lack of planning can really have an effect. And so that's why the pre-planning on the PSM side is so awesome from a reliability standpoint, because it actually does end up being money saver and sometimes a money maker if you manage it correctly. The other thing we look at is we talk about we have the three stages of the PSM in our world, the pre, the during, and if something goes wrong. And during part is task procedures. You see a lot of people will write those. They write them, like Jen said, the same as everything else, 70 degree, perfect day. I like to see the task procedure based on what's going to happen. Like, for example, we know we have sanitation in, in all my locations. Well, then that should be part of PSM because if you don't use the right chemical and the right cleaning process, you could cause harm to the system. So that task it's got to be different during the day than it is on the weekend or night when they're spraying chemical. I mean, we've seen bottles that say, don't use an evaporators, and we see people spraying evaporators with it. So, I mean, there's all these weird chemical mixtures and stuff that adds to it, and then there's the lockout and everything else that goes with it. But that task could have a task during the day, and then there could be a task for sanitation. So even it has its own world as it moves around. What I will say to that is the whole goal of PSM is the concept of let's keep it in the pipes. However. That, in my opinion, is not giving credit to all the other things that are going on at the location. And so, yes, if we don't have production running, we don't have sanitation running, we're not having contractors and forklifts and all these other things, and we don't live in a place with weather or our entire system's inside, we don't have stuff on the roof. That's great if we don't have any of those variables. But unfortunately, that is not the situation that we find ourselves in. Because we've got the need to have the system because we're doing something if it's a refrigeration location. So that whole concept of if you're doing PSM right, you don't have leaks. I kind of disagree with that because we just dealt with one not too long ago where we had terrible straight line winds and it mangled the entire roof. Yeah, we've worked fires, explosions, people violent in the workplace trying to shoot compressed room areas. We have worked weather-related events, and, and the systems, I'm not saying should or should be made for those one-offs, but you are supposed to be thinking about how would I manage real-time events. And a weather event, like Jane said, that's common. This time of year and all summer is very, very much weather-related, so I spend a lot of time on weather events. Yeah. Yeah. All of our locations have some kind of weather, it seems like, some kind of tornado, some kind of hurricane, some kind of something. That can really throw a wrench in things. It's kind of a bummer, but it's just you got to plan for that. And so that's why PSM is awesome. So now we got this task. Now we consider sanitation and chemicals and weather and training. We've got operators and all these things we're looking at. Now we're looking at the other things. Before we talk about SOPs, we'll talk about that in a second here. There's a thing that people will sometimes say has to do with regulated or non-regulated PSM. Can you tell us a couple examples of what that would be, Jen? Yeah, so I love unregulated or non-regulated MOC or management of change, just because it it really capitalizes on that reliability piece that PSM has at the center of the end program. So all it's basically asking you to do is really put down a plan in place before you start making a change. So say I'm putting in a new line on my production floor. I would do a management of change for that that's non-regulated. And it forces me to go through all those steps to make sure I've got all these plans in place, training in place, 
do I have each step of what I need to meet my safety guidelines and the manufacturer's recommendations and my egress and training for lockout? Do I have the lockout procedures written if I need to do sanitation? Am I having some kind of training with my contract sanitation to let them know, hey, you can't be spraying certain things on here. It's, it's forcing you to have those conversations. So at least you feel like, well, I tried. If they bring in somebody new and they don't train them on you know, the sanitation side, well, you know, we do the best we can, but at least we tried to do our best and we're showing that intent. And that usually takes care of a whole lot of issues. We may still have a couple, but it really does help kind of hedge those bets in our direction that we're not going to have those issues. Yeah. Regulator, non-regulator. It's it's not the amount of chemical you have on site. I want to close with this little sub part here. People ask me all the time, well, I don't have a certain quantity for a certain chemical. And I always go back to, I've never fought a chemical leak where all of it dumped at one time. I fight the chemical leaks based on a quantity that is released and it's never the entire amount. So to me, it's not about the amount they have on property. It's about the exposure. It's not about the 10,000 pounds to me. It's about managing a system to make sure that we don't have problems. We don't have catastrophic failures. We don't have catastrophic leaks. We don't hurt anybody. We don't hurt the community. We keep production running and don't have issues. It's just a management tool. It's all how you look at it. So do you uh, close here for a few minutes? Check your operator training. Check your systems on who's qualified to do what task and the tasks relevant for the jobs you're going to have them do. Check for your follow-up plans in case something goes wrong. Calculate what real-time something goes wrong. And then use it as a management tool, whether it's required or not, because it could give you a lot of parameters and build you a lot of success. So, Jen, do you have anything else for today? No, I think that that really kind of wraps it up. My biggest thing is make sure you've got procedures for what you expect of your operators and their supporting groups that help them out. And then make sure along with those task procedures that you're training them on what your expectations are and you're training them on the job you expect them to do. And that helps eliminate a lot of problems that pre-planning on the front end with that training. Okay. Well, I appreciate everybody for uh, signing on today. We really enjoy doing these. We keep changing up the subjects of what people may ask questions because we've had random questions come up the last few weeks to Jen and I. We're like, okay, we'll, we'll talk about that. And we're just going to take this as it goes for the following week. So, Thank you for signing on and listening to us. I hope you have a good day. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you for listening to Safe, Efficient, Profitable, a worker safety podcast. If you like what you heard here, please take a moment to write us a quick review, like, subscribe, and share our podcast so that others can find us. For questions or to request topics that you'd like to hear on our next show, please visit us at www.allen-safety.com. Thank you. Safety first, stay safe.